Good morning. This is Dr. Jennifer Kaufman, your host. Today I have uh, Brett Penninger. He is a businessman and entrepreneur. Brett has had over three decades of extraordinary success with a unique background as an athlete, a coach, and an entrepreneur. After graduating from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1989 with a Bachelor of Science, Journalism, Marketing degree, he pursued his Master's of Arts in Communication advertising from the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point while serving as the head assistant wrestling coach. During his three-year tenure from 1990 to 1993, the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point wrestling team achieved unparalleled success. As Penninger was instrumental in turning the program into a perennial NCAA Division III powerhouse with two WIAC conference championships. 13 individual conference champions, nine NCAA D3 All-American, five UWSP, and one NCAA Division III Hall of Fame members developed during that three-year span. From 1993 to 2000, Penninger served as the USA Wrestling National Coaches Education Program Coordinator. During this time, he authored USA Wrestling Wrestler's Coach's Guide to Excellence, and developed the USAW NCEP into a flagship for the United States Olympic Committee as one of the premium educational programs in the country. In addition to his duties as NCEP coordinator, he served as the Olympic Training Center Assistant Wrestling Coach, Colorado Junior National Freestyle Team Head Coach, board member for the USOC's Flame Finding Leaders Among Minorities Everywhere, and Camp Hope, Helping Others Pain End, published the Crossface and founded B. Anthony International. In March of 2000, he moved to Orlando, Florida, and along with the founders was a catalyst in explosive growth of maximized living. Serving as its CEO, he led it to unprecedented success while establishing it as one of the chiropractic profession's preeminent practice management companies. Currently, Tenninger is the Chief Marketing Officer of Medulla LLC, which is a healthcare management company that supports Carol One Wellness Centers with 41 locations throughout the greater Chicagoland area, the wellness service and the wellness physicians. Having recently been selected in the top 10 to Crane's Business Week's Fast 50 for four years in a row, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, and a three-time Inc. 500-5000 recipient in 2011, 2012, and 2013, Chiro One Wellness Centers is one of the largest chiropractic healthcare organizations in the world. In addition, Penninger is a sought-after inspirational speaker, business consultant, and passionate philanthropist, born and raised in the great state of Ohio, and he now calls his home Chicago. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I have so many questions for you. Um, you have had so many successes, yet you're so young. And it's kind of how do you manage your energy? Tell me a little bit about your journey and, and who you are. Well, um, that's a pretty broad, broad question. I would say um, – You know, I'm just, I'm really just a manifestation of, um, you know, humanity. And I'm just one, one person who got plugged into um, the realities of what's available for all of us 
and that is to live into our dreams, passions, and desires. Um, my mom told me something when I was young, and she always used to say, um, you know, God doesn't give us a vision without also giving us everything necessary to accomplish it. And I, I never really understood that until, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago or so, and I started thinking about that. Uh, my mom died 22 years ago now. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? That's so true. And I just share what she had shared with me because I never had a desire to be a doctor. I never had a desire to be a politician. I never had a desire to be a mechanic or a race car driver or, you know, things like that that are awesome. Uh, but everything I did have a desire to do, um, you know, our creator is also giving me everything necessary to do that. And it would be true of everyone. You know, so my wrestling career, I'm uh, five foot three and some change. I like to say five, four, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, I have a athletic, um, you know, talent uh, just born with some genetics there. Well, it, there was no other sport that could fit that well other than wrestling, you know, maybe gymnastics. But with my temperament, I like the competition. Um, marketing is something that, you know, I got involved with in chiropractic early. And uh, all along the way throughout my, um, you know, my grade school, high school, college career, I started learning that I had a talent in communication and writing. And so marketing kind of became a natural fit for that. Um, things that, you know, I had a passion for that I didn't know how it was going to really show up. Um, however, uh, having everything within me to, to be able to do it. I would say, and I've shared it a lot with, um, with classes that I, I work with every two weeks. We have a, a new onboarding class in our organization. And, you know, first of all, uh, thanks a lot for having me on your show and being able to, um, to share with you. Uh, I don't look at myself as a big deal. You know, I don't think that, um, I think measurably, I've absolutely accomplished some things that, we would say, yeah, that's pretty rare. But at the same time, it depends on who you're comparing yourself to. You know, so when you start talking about comparing yourself, uh, first of all, you know, you're unique and miraculous in who you are. And secondly, the only um, relevance of having anything to be compared to is to at least have a target at which you can shoot for. Because at the end of the day, as human beings, we always expand whatever we thought was possible by someone who thought past that. And so when I was a child, uh, literally in 1977, I'm 51 years old, um, 51 years young, you might say. Right. And in 77, I was in uh, sixth grade right before I went to junior high. And I saw this video that you're probably familiar with uh, called The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And it was a video and a recording, and at that time, the highest recording, uh, you know, spoken word recording uh, sold in history. And I just remember going into that video, and it, it was all about, you know, why do people become who they become? And I was really excited about figuring that out, you know, and learning about it. And I didn't have to be in class because I got to watch, you know, this show. And um, anyway, at the end of it, he said, you become who you think, what you think about most of the time. And my first thought was I'm going to become a chick because I was in, you know, full blown, you know, uh, puberty 
and everything else. And then I stopped. I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. But if I could have or do anything that I want, what would it be? And it was kind of the beginning of starting to um, discover my, my potential, full potential. And that was I wanted to own my own business because the people that I were around seemed like the ones who made the most money and everything else, which I was attracted to, own their own businesses. I wanted to make a ridiculous amount of money. I didn't know what a ridiculous amount of money was, but why not me? And I wanted to uh, touch the lives of millions of people. And I just figured that in order to do the first two, I would have to do the third one. And so that was kind of the beginning of um, what led to where today is at right now. Awesome. Tell me about how you just for daily routines, how you surround yourself by chiropractors, but tell me about your own health and certain standards you have for your health, um, your nutrition, and your daily routines. Well, I am a, um, I would say, uh, in all things have moderation. You know, so I'm not a health nut, and I'll tell you, um, you know, a why and, and my, my thought process around it. And as an elite athlete, um, working at the Olympic Training Center from 93 to 2000 in the coaches education program, uh, working at the 96 Games in Atlanta um, as a coach, um, and, and the 2000 Games in, in Sydney, Australia, there's a blessing and a curse with everything. It's true of everything, right? And it's not that uh, the blessing is better and the curse is bad. It's just understanding the spectrum of all of it and not just seeking homeostasis, but having the awareness to understand the value of both. And what I saw as an athlete, which is true, and you see it uh, played out in the public space, is that in order to be that good, in order to be that fit, to be able to do things physically, whether it be a professional athlete, basketball, football, um, you know, or track or whatever, or in my discipline, wrestling, you have to put your body through, um, yeah, just extreme measures, which at, uh, at its zenith shows up as, as a majestic performance, but at its worst shows up as uh, – you know, just complete damage and tearing your part, your body apart, you know, so in football, you can be the best in the world. And then, you know, you have the downside of what concussions can bring, you know, as a result of the violence that you put your body through. Uh, I can't tell you how many athletes I know that at their zenith were um, just majesty in motion. And then 10, 15 years later, they're walking around and they can barely get around because of their joints being so torn up, so on and so forth. So for me, physically, um, I learned the discipline of staying in, uh, in shape, but for me in shape is, you know, staying active. So I walk a lot. I work out, you know, maybe two to three times at most at a gym. Uh, I eat in moderation. So I'm not all one side or another, you know, up, oh, I'm all protein up. Oh, now I'm going to do all carbs. I'm going to cover load because as a wrestler, the one thing you got real quick is, um, as soon as you deprive your body of a something, then it wants it even more. And the uh, yo-yo effect of having to drop a lot of weight, and then you add weight, and then drop a lot of weight and add weight. Uh, I'm like, I just rather eat what I want consistently, um, you know, moderately. So I don't really 
put a massive amount of attention to, you know, my calories or the types of food that I'm eating, or I can't have this or can't have that. Uh, I stay tight to, you know, things that are natural or best for us. If it comes from the ground, I eat those, you know, if it mood or it went quack, quack or something like that, I'll eat those. Um, uh, I like fish and stuff. I stay away from processed foods as much as possible, but by and large, um, moderation. Yeah. Moderation for me. Awesome. What about your morning routine when you get up in the morning? What time do you get up and what does that look like? Well, um, my morning routine is, is pretty, uh, pretty standard. The, the times that I get up vary anywhere between uh, three o'clock on some days to uh, probably typically around 5.15, 5.30 on most. Um, on the weekends, I sleep in till maybe 6.30, somewhere in there. Uh, once I get up, I'm just kind of at it, you know. Uh, yeah, I get moving. Sometimes I'll have a lot of thoughts that are running through my head. So I'll jump on my computer and start either jotting them down or I, I'm still old school, you know, so I like writing too, a lot. So I'll grab a piece of paper and just start um, jotting down thoughts that I've been sitting on for challenges that I'm looking for solutions to. Um, one of the things that I learned in Think and Grow Rich, you know, by Napoleon Hill on the mastermind, and the mastermind isn't necessarily people that you know, uh, that are alive and so forth, but that you respect and admire. And um, when you plug into that, then you start having answers that come to you on things that you're sitting with, you know, let go of how you think it needs to look and uh, what shows up is how it should look or can look. So anyway, um, I am working on getting into meditation. I have not done that successfully yet, meaning that I don't do that on a regular basis. Um, however, I know it's something that's going to be a huge breakthrough for me. But one thing that um, is really important, and I don't necessarily do it in the morning as a routine, but uh, at some point in the day, and I'd say on average, maybe two to three hours throughout the day, intermittent here and there, um, I'm always reading, reading something, reading uh, not just a something, but typically um, you know, a book on growth and development. Right now we're reading Mastery by George Leonard. Um, I got a book by Dr. Ben Lerner that uh, he just wrote, uh, Zero to a Million, so I'm reading that one. I got a um, book from a good friend of mine called Lead Leadocracy, um, who he's, uh, we were college teammates. So always looking to read and expand uh, my awareness of the world that I exist in and how to move it, um, you know, to... Uh, benefit you know our our people here when you read do you take notes in the book do you like write down notes later or do you do audibles how what is your your source of reading is it mainly just a physical book it's in the laws i have learned that i typically don't have a this or that you know, or a, well, I can either do um, one thing or another. I kind of do both or multiples. So I use audibles because I'm in the car, you know, a fair amount of time and I don't read, but it's a great time to feed my mind, whether it's a podcast or whether it's um, um, a book on, you know, audio. Um, I use hard copy because I like, you know, just the feeling of hard copy because uh, as much as I like, you know, online and I have, 
phones on my iPhone, books on my iPhone, you know, then to go back to a page and you're trying to scroll through them and you don't, I don't do notes as well. I write or type a lot faster than I can thumb and type a lot faster than I can write. So um, I do all of them. I have hardcover. I have books on, excuse me, books on, um, uh, on my iPhone, you know, iBooks and I have um, books that I listen to. So any way that I can pull information to me um, in any uh, physical form that I'm in, whether I'm reading it, listening to it, or, um, you know, absorbing it is how, you know, how I uh, get that information. Now, you also have another important role, and you're a father, and with a beautiful little daughter. What do you teach her at such a young age, um, just about the world and about success and things that you want to instill in her as she grows up into our world? Well, anybody who's listening to this, that this parent knows that there is no um, parent manual that you can follow that's going to produce this perfect and wonderful person and all of this kind of stuff. Um, the birth of my daughter, I, I had a very uh, made a conscious decision based on my experience in coaching. And in the job that I had at um, USA Wrestling, I was responsible for putting together a coach's education program to teach coaches at every level. So uh, coaches who were fathers that their kid got in this thing called wrestling and they just wanted to help a little bit, but they didn't know jack squat about it, to our Olympic level coaches who uh, knew how to train the best in the world. So everything in between. And what I found really quickly is one of the biggest veins of coaching is parents. And parents, um, most of the time, because they, they don't know what success really looks like, and they attach it to the celebrity and or the, the fame and the acclaim that shows up in what you think it looks like to their, you know, little Susie or little Johnny or whatever, they become obsessive and crazy. And um, in that, meaning that they have unrealistic expectations because they don't even know what that really means. And so the fact of the matter is, is as an athlete, I was good, but I wasn't that good. And meaning that I got a full scholarship paid to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, but I wasn't a national champion. I wasn't an All-American. I didn't make an Olympic or world team. Um, and so what I saw is even in that, I was in the top one-tenth of one percentile of everybody who wrestled. So it's very rare, but it's so rare that you can bank on, and I just saw some recent uh, statistics on it, you can bank on 99% of the people who are competing in a sport in high school are not going to do it after they get out of high school. But you don't know that because you're looking at the pros and you're looking at, you know, the NCAA championships and stuff like that. So, uh, Parents can drive their kids nuts. And what I saw a lot was um, parents who were attempting to live their lives through their kids, and then it always showed up as resentment, and the kids, you know, just left pretty much. So as a parent, uh, in teaching my daughter success principles and everything else, whatever, I just teach her the laws of the universe as best as I can. And I went into parenting with a, I'm just going to be present. 
I don't have this thing called, uh, here's how to raise a great child like my parents raised me and they did a great job, but uh, you need to be in bed by here. You have to be in this and, and, you, and you need to go to this school and you have to, and here's our rules and here's how to, I'm like, that's just about as ignorant as you can get based on most of what we know that the masses um, consume and then use uh, keep people in the masses. And as soon as you're around people who are in the classes, you know, that live lives of excellence, um, that do things that look to be measurably magnificent, you realize that it's not that they're better, they just think differently. They do things differently. So I didn't want to go into parenting called, I have a model of how it has to look. So I'm present. I'm just, I'm present when I'm with her. I'm present in uh, watching her growth and development. And then um, the best present that we can give to our children is being our, our true authentic selves and not trying to be who we think they need us to be and or who we think we have to be. And our example speaks so loudly that nothing we say is going to really matter. Um, it can help. But at the end of the day, who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear anything else. So for my daughter, I'm just present. I tell her you can do anything, you know, at the same time. Um, I tell her you need to fall on your butt. And that's the best part about doing anything. So you can get back up, you know. Um, I'm a divorced father. So uh, I see my daughter, you know, we have joint parenting. So I don't see her every day. And, you know, she hates leaving and I hate leaving her. I'm like, well. You know, if you don't leave, you can't come back. So <laughs> you kind of start training the, the uh, blessings of um, the balance that what is positive is also going to be negative and you need both, you know, support and challenge, however that looks. And how that plays itself out to be, we'll see. Uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm just doing my best every day along the way. As a father, and since the birth of your daughter, what has your daughter taught you? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, that's a huge one. It's actually a, two, a two-fold answer. Um, in my, my zeal for uh, conquering the universe, let's say, right, um, what I didn't recognize that she has taught me and the love of my life has taught me is that uh, I was obsessively selfish. And I didn't really understood, understand what that meant because my focus was on the accomplishment of serving other people, but, you know, it still has an intrinsically selfish motive, you know, for what you get from it. And so uh, my zest to have a successful business, I went through a lot of failures before that happened. And then my zest to be a multimillionaire, I went through a lot of brokenness in order to be able to make that happen and to be a great athlete and a coach and all of those things. But at the end of the day, it was really about me. I knew it served a lot of people, but it was about me, you know, feeling complete with myself that I could do all of that. Well, my daughter, the birth of her, and I'm sure most parents, many parents can say this, and falling in love uh, with somebody that I, I could be better 
our union creates uh, an expansion of not only what I can do, it's the classic, you know, uh, one plus one equals infinity, not one plus one equals two. And so my daughter really gave me a picture that said, one, it's not just about you, but who you are is what she's going to model for the rest of her life. So it, you know, if you ever have those moments of, and I'm not perfect, right? You ever have those moments of, man, that's probably not the best decision, but selfishly it felt good, you know, so I did it, you know, whatever it is, college, you know, high school and our adult life. It, it has you halt and at least for me go, how's this going to serve her and not just me? So the birth of her really had me um, be able to connect with people at a much deeper level because I stopped thinking as much about myself um, so that I could translate what they're experiencing and how I may be able to support it because I can understand what they're going through at the same time because it's not about my selfish little sniffling you know, desires. She really did that for me big time. Love that. Love that. Tell me about, um, we're the sum total of the five people we surround ourselves by. Are there certain qualities or traits that you look for in people? We get to a point where we, we allow certain people in our surroundings. Um, what would be some of those traits that you look for in relationships with people you like to have in your circle? Hmm. Um, okay. I'm, I'm a little fluid on things. I don't have, um, I'm going to do my best to just share what I can see in that. Um, I don't put people in boxes, right? And so when I say fluid, you know, like some people go, well, I want to be around people who have, you know, the highest integrity. Well, that's a bunch of crap because we're always out of integrity at some level. And so as soon as you start measuring integrity is, you know, they're always doing, all you got to do is look in the mirror and be like, well, I said I was going to do this and I didn't, so I guess I'm out of integrity. I said I was going to lose five pounds and I didn't, so I guess I'm out of integrity. So, all right, so that's the pot calling the kettle black, you know? So um, when I think of, of who I want to pull close to me and I do allow to pull close to me, it's... It's a, uh, yeah, I would say this. One, that they, they have a, an intensity and desire for excellence. That's a huge one. Because with that, everything else follows. I mean, uh, if you have a desire for excellence, you start learning that small minds talk about other people and stuff that doesn't mean nothing. And so they're not going to be somebody that's going to do that. Now, can they and do we do that? Yes. But by and large, you're, the conversation and the attention uh, and intention of what you're about goes towards um, concepts and ideals and, and the future and how we can change the world and, and the impact that we can have. And people like that show up in every arena, and you note it, you know it as soon as you're around it. So uh, – 
I surround myself with people who have an intensity and a desire for excellence. Um, I surround myself with people who have, um, have a, what I would call a work ethic and a willingness, a willingness to be willing. And by my definition, I learned from a great mentor of mine, uh, Van Kerrigan. He said, willingness is being willing when you're not willing. Mm-hmm. And that's, probably the best, most accurate, you know, assignment of that definition I could ever have. Because you see people who don't, one, have an intensity to excellence um, and who um, don't have a work ethic to overcome themselves, stop. They go along the way and as long as it feels good and then they have a little challenge and they're like, well, I know I'm going to have to go through that too. But they, they start negotiating success. And the minute you start negotiating success, that means you're not willing when you're not willing and you're, you're not ever going to break through there. And so uh, if you have a strong work ethic and a willingness to be willing when you're not willing, you'll break through and become unstoppable. And that is one in a million. So I pull people close to me who are like that. Um, I tend to pull people, well, not tend to, I'll tell you straight out pull people close to me who um, aren't all like rainbows and sunshine, you know, unicorns and, you know, (laughs) uh, positive, but people who, um, who have a vision of knowing anything's possible. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't, again, that's not all, you know, positive, you know, um, mentalities, you know, positive mindset and everything else. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of value in people who question everything. Right. You know, but there's a difference between people who question everything towards an outcome that they're just trying to figure out a solution to and people who question everything, cutting down everything and anyone they're around. You know, that's bad. This isn't good. You know, that's terrible. You know, woe is me. I'm a victim and all, of, you know, all of that crap. Uh, I get as far away from people like that as I can. Um, and then I'd say the last thing um, and it's, and again, it's really rare and it's something I continue to work on myself, is people who have a, um, they have a space, they have a demeanor, they have a, um, an energy of love. And by that, I mean, um, they're not walking around with a black robe and a gavel judging every freaking thing, person, and ideal, and like all of it. Well, I'm a Democrat, so let me tell you why the Democrats are right. And well, I'm a Republican, and the Democrats are the worst thing since you know God was created. And and I'm a Christian, so let me tell you why. If you're not that, you're gonna go to hell. Well, I'm a Muslim, so let me tell you know that's that's not love. And at the highest ideals of people who have, uh, let's say, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs reach, you know, self-enlightenment per se. So you have a uh, Buddha, you have a uh, Gandhi, you have, you know, Mother Teresa, you have uh, Martin Luther King, you have, you know, people of, like incredible excellence, um, uh, Oprah Winfrey. They start getting really quickly that you can be firm in what you believe in. And you also have a healthy respect and knowledge of those things that you don't necessarily agree with, but you understand it. And that's love, you know, and that is rare because most of us, our biggest challenge is loving ourselves, let alone knowing how that translates into an acceptance and a, and a 
uh, view of humanity and people and ideals and, and political beliefs and religious beliefs that uh, can then really build you only if you look at them without making them wrong. So that would be it. Okay. We've all have challenges, challenges that have given us the greatest amount of growth. Is there a challenge that at the time felt like it just rocked your core and brought you to your knees, but gave you the most growth to propel your life forward? And what was that? Yes. So, um, mine was really simple. And it has played itself out again and again, but the lesson that I learned had me understand that one, it's a part of being great, and two, uh, this too shall pass. When I was a junior in high school, um, I was undefeated. Uh, I was ranked second in the state, and I really wanted to be a state champion, and I was uh, just intent on it, right? And um, I end up losing to make it to the tournament. And the next day in the papers, it wasn't who had won and everything else. It was Pinnegar loses, you know. And I'm like, it devastated me. I mean, devastated me. I remember just crying. I couldn't sleep all night. And I'm sitting there with my, in my mom's bosom, you know, just crying. You know, I can't believe it, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, son, this too shall pass you're going to be okay, you know, and you have next year and you can keep working and all of that. Well, I say that, um, even though you might be like, seriously, is that, that big a deal? But fast forward, I've had a lot of things in my life that have been seemingly catastrophic. You know, our business took off like a, a rocket ship and it almost collapsed into oblivion. Um, you know, I, just went through and completed a um, ugly divorce, like ugly divorce. I mean, catastrophically, physically, spiritually, financially, all of those things. Um, you know, I've had the loss of both of my parents within 31 days apart. Uh, I've had a lot of failures, a lot of them. And within each of those, going all the way back to my junior year, have been some of the most remarkable gifts that uh, and blessings I could ever imagine. And so the realization at that time of that the deepest pain also creates the highest highs allowed me and allows me to uh, take it as it's coming, knowing that it's there. I, it's it's uh, something I learned from a great coach. He um, taught his students to embrace a best friend that everybody else didn't want any parts of. And this best friend's name was Pat. And he was talking to the young kids and everything else. And he's like, hey, listen, you know, Pat's going to be your best friend. And I really want to introduce you to him. And he's going to be a great uh, mentor uh, and assistant coach of ours. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Pat. And no, nobody walks through the door. And the kids are like, who's Pat? And he goes, pain, agony, and torture. <laughs> Like, okay, so everybody get on the floor and give me 20 push-ups. You know, the kids are like, oh, come on, coach, you know. But embracing what looks to be pain, agony, and torture will free you to have bliss, magnificent, and peace. So, um, yes, there have been mo moments, and there continues to be, and I know they ain't going to end. 
um, but that's part of the beauty of life. So. I love that. What do you do for personal growth? Do you attend seminars? Do you have a coach? What have you done that you that works for you? Sure. Uh, well, the reading and reading is a ton. Um, and then uh, I committed years ago to at least four times a year doing a something. So I've done, uh, I spent two years with Tony Robbins. I've gone to UPW and date with destiny and, uh, um, you know, uh, health and uh, wealth mastery in Fiji. Um, I've gone to Landmark Education, just about every course that they have, the Landmark Forum and the Advanced Course and the Communications Course. I've uh, done a lot of work with Dr. John Demartini and the Breakthrough Experience, and um, I've yet to and want to go to Prophecy. Uh, I've had some tremendous um, opportunities to learn from uh, an organization called the Center for Creative Leadership out in Colorado Springs, and then getting and spending time around some of the most uh, incredible human beings on the planet, and you just learn by looking and asking questions and just being with them, whether it be in clergy or whether it be in entertainment or whether it be in business or athletes. So I'm always looking to do a something to grow and develop. Um, just went to a seminar that a, a up-and-coming speaker who worked with Tony Robbins, um, uh, had here in, in Chicago and uh, got hooked up with Laurel Langemeyer. And so I'm taking courses with her on, you know, starting businesses and multiple businesses and things along those lines and uh, working with uh, uh, Brunson on click funnels on really uh, learning and mastering this whole thing of marketing. And with that, you know, the marketing genius, Jay Abraham, learning from him, uh, both in podcasts, uh, seminars, uh, reading his books, and um, I want to go out to California and spend some time with him. He costs a lot of money. <laughs> but, you know, so uh, constantly looking at on a daily, weekly, um, quarterly basis, putting myself in a position of, of continuing to learn from masters of their craft. What would you say to entrepreneurs today and even chiropractors that might be listening about marketing? Uh, with regards to some people say, well, it's changing. It's not the same that it was 10 years ago. Um, how do you get your message out when it comes to marketing? What are your thoughts for the future and for now? Um, that's an easy one. You know, it's, it's just like pat, pain, agony, and torture, embracing it. If you put too much energy and emphasis on onto the fears that show up with quote unquote marketing, you know, fear of rejection, fear of what if they say no, fear if they don't agree with me, fear if they don't like me, all of that crap, then you're going to have a hard time marketing no matter what you do, period. Marketing sales is nothing more, if you break it down to its simplicity, is nothing more than attaching a solution to somebody else's challenge. And if, first of all, if you don't believe that you really have a solution, then you won't be able to market nothing. <laughs> and if you don't believe that people have a challenge that you have a solution to, you won't be able to market nothing. So marketing comes down to two things. It comes down to one, 
providing value, and that's usually in the solution that you can provide. So for chiropractors, are you freaking kidding me? Your hands change lives. Your hands are the only thing that are trained to be able to take care of the human body and the human frame the way our creator, whoever you want to call it, designed it to be. There's no one else who's trained to be able to do that. Not a physical therapist, not an osteopath, not an MD, not a acupuncturist, none of them. And all of those are valuable, but none of them know how to take care of the spine. And, I, and I, I'm not a chiropractor. It's the simplest thing in the world for me. The two most important organs in our body are the only organs that are completely encased in armor, our brain and our spinal cord. Everything else you can get to with the ice pick. So you tell me, what's like? how important is that? And if you don't get that and know that, that uh, the removal of interference, I don't care whether you're on a, on, a, uh, on a side that doesn't buy into the philosophy of subluxation or not, I can tell you as simple as it is. If you remove the interference and the brain's ability to communicate to whatever organ is being compromised and the symptomatology that's showing up is removed, you got a much better shot that it's going to work, period. So if you don't own that and believe it, it's going to be hard for you to market because then you're worried about, well, what if they don't like me and everything? Well, I even heard from this great mentor of mine in business. Uh, his name was Bill Britt. And he used to say, some will, some won't, so what? SW, SW, SW. And it takes a long time. It took me a long time to get past the concerns that, well, what if they don't and then they know and everything else. But when I knew how powerful chiropractic was, and I was able to do the same thing in wrestling and building a, in the coach's education program, um, anything that you have a passion for, unleash your passion, get over yourself, because it's not about you, lessons from my daughter, and let the world know, and they will respond in kind. So uh, marketing for me is just setting up consciously. So that's, that's a, a broad thought, but it, it it backs itself into the details called, got it. I'm passionate about what I do and people need to know about it. Okay, now you need to get the frick in front of people. <laughs> and you can do that in all of the ways that we know. Now, I can tell you with what I've done with uh, Medulla in support of Cairo One Wellness Centers is we got to people where they didn't expect that we would get to them. And for me, it was really simple chiropractic, even right now, according to the latest Gallup poll, if you take out all of the 18-year uh, and under people, and then you take the rest of what, in the United States, we have approximately 300 million people. We have, let's say, that there's 20% of those are 18 or under. So now you go uh, times 60, you have 240 million people, less than 43% of those have gone to a chiropractor at any point in their life ever. So now you're down to do the quick math on that, you know, about 80 some odd million people. Well, that means if we have 300 million people here, 220 million people have never gone to a chiropractor, including kids and babies, and we know it's needed. That means that not too many people really know about it. And if you take that number and you take it down into who's gone to a chiropractor in the last 12 months, Gallup poll, not chiropractic poll, that number dwindles down to 14%. So there's not a lot of people that understand chiropractic and what it can do. 
I don't care if you think it's car accidents, neck pain, back pain, whatever. That means that if you use traditional, now here's where the marketing expertise and training comes in. If you use traditional marketing methodology to do it, especially in today's age, called newspapers, uh, even the internet, uh, radio, television, because you don't want to face talking to people, then you have a snowball's chance in hell of actually getting that message through in today's massive inundation with information and you start adding on top of that in today's uh, advertising and more like news cycle, it's not even real news. Before it was just a reporting on things and stuff. Now it's a reporting on your opinion on how you think things and stuff should look and half the time it's not even true. So what I created wasn't something that I made up on my own was how to get in front of people to educate them, to let them know what chiropractic was and the availability that could, it could have for them in ways that they, they just never had any idea of. And we do it face-to-face -face really powerfully because face-to-face -face is the easiest way for people to make a decision to gain the trust to then be able to go, wow, I didn't know you could help me. Well, if you have an opportunity for me to be helped, I can either choose or not. And uh, for me, marketing is now tangibly taking that, that's one way, and then surrounding everything else around your potential patient, which for us is every freaking human being, because if you have a spine, you need us. Um, surrounding it by then some other methodologies that then inform and educate them. In marketing years ago, when I graduated from college, we had a, a rule called 27 meaning that uh, you needed to get in front of people at least nine times before they took action. But every three times that you got in front of them, they only recognized one of them, right? So 27, you divide that out, you know, all of a sudden you have, oh, nine times. On the ninth time, they actually moved to action. That number has doubled. Doubled. We're now into the 50s of how many times you have to get in front of somebody because of the advent of the Internet. And so if you ain't like connecting with people front and center and you can do that without having a massive marketing army like we do uh, by talking to them in your office, by asking for referrals, by getting people that you can get in front of and go, hey, listen, here's what chiropractic is and here how, here's how it can support you, then you're going to have a real tough time making it big time. So anyway, marketing is just showing people that we have a solution to a challenge that they have no other solutions to like that well as a way to wrap up this morning are there three things that you would like to leave entrepreneurs with that if you could say um to propel them forward in their success what would that be well that's easy uh with the end in mind begin with the end in mind meaning um whatever your outcome is start there Number two, be very clear on, um, on if you love what you do or not. And you're going to know if you love it because it becomes easy. It's something that's very ordered in your life. You don't have to be motivated to do it. Like you have a, uh, it's something that you would do for free. If you don't love it, you will not go through the challenge that it will take to be successful, period. And then the third thing I would say is, uh, straight out of Winston Churchill. 
don't give up. But you're only going to give up if you're not clear on what the beginning on the end of mine is. And you're not going to get to the beginning of what's, you know, the end of mine if you're not passionate about what, what it is that you do. So uh, that would be it. You know, just look inside yourself and go, am I passionate? Yes. Okay, what's the end that I want? And you have to freaking measure that. I want a uh, hundred patients. Got it. Now we can work with that. I want to make a million dollars. Got it. Now we can work with that. I want to have five clinics. Got it. Now we can work with that. I want to have, you know, 250 patient visits uh, per week. Got it. Now we can work with that. If you're like, I just want to be better. I'm just going to do my best. You can't measure that and you ain't going to go no damn where. And nobody can help you because they can't back into, okay, here's how you would do that. I want to make more money. I'll give you a penny and you just accomplish your goal. Come on, Brett. No, I mean, I want to, how much and by when? And now we can back, begin with the end of mind. Now we can back into a plan, knowing that you're going to be met with Pat, pain, agony, and torture. You're going to fail. You have to fumble. And failure is nothing more than learning in order to do it, whether a passion really ties itself into it. And then the last part of it is, well, if that means that eventually I can get it, I just can't quit then I'll get it. Yes. Begin with them in, in the mind, love what you do, and don't quit. Thank you. thank you so very much today. Thank you. You bet. Thank you.